Well, uh, good morning, River City. My name's Brandon. It's good to be with you guys this morning. If you're new or visiting, especially want to say welcome to you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you and help, help you get plugged into the community here at River City. Uh, excited as well uh, to invite you into our summer sermon series. This summer, we're, uh, we're in a series called Jesus on Every Page. And what we're doing throughout the summer is we're taking a look at a bunch of different Old Testament passages together. And we're highlighting how all of them aren't ultimately about just kind of teaching us some moral lesson about what we're supposed to be doing or not doing or who we're supposed to be like or who we're not supposed to be like. But instead, all of them are primarily meant to point us towards the person and the work of Jesus. Sally Lloyd-Jones, she puts it this way. She says, the Bible's a story. At the center of that story is Jesus and every story whispers his name. You see, the idea that the whole Bible, including the Old Testament, is first and foremost about God and the gospel, that's not my idea, that's not Sally's idea, that's not some brilliant pastor or theologian's idea. As we saw at the beginning of our series, that's what Jesus himself taught. In places like John 5 and Luke 24, he teaches the religious leaders and, and the disciples how he is at the center of all of the scriptures. And so at the heart of our series this summer is learning to read the Old Testament the way Jesus did, uh, with him at the center of all of it. And so, so far in our series, we've been taking a look at a number of passages. In fact, all the passages we've studied so far have been narratives. But stories recounting, uh, we've, we took a look at stories like the flood and God's covenant with Noah or when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea or like Ryan preached on last week, David and Goliath, which by the way, if you missed last week, Ryan did a great job filling in for me and he just did a great job preaching God's word and showing us how David and Goliath, that story is all about Jesus being our true and better champion. And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one. If you, if you missed it. But, but what I want to show you this morning is that Jesus isn't just at the center of all the narrative stories in the Old Testament. In fact, he's at the center of every genre of writing in the Old Testament. We're going to see that a bunch more in the second half of our series this summer, whether that includes poetry or prophecy or law or apocalyptic writings. Or as we're going to see this morning in the book of Proverbs, Jesus is at the center of all of the wisdom literature. And so along with books like Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, the book of Proverbs is part of a genre of writings in the Old Testament that are known as wisdom literature. And, and the wisdom literature books are thinking books. They're, they're not books that are meant to be kind of powered through and just read like a story. They're, they're meant to be ones that you kind of sink in and mull over and keep coming back to again and again. It takes time for them to kind of soak in. But but like Proverbs, the rest of the wisdom literature in the Bible, it's not just this kind of like collection of heady esoteric sayings, right? Um, Instead, they're, they're intensely practical books. They show us the kinds of actions and attitudes and perspective that leads to the best and fullest and most God-glorifying and personally fulfilling lives. Right? And they point out the landmines and the ditches in life that are going to keep us from those kinds of things. And what the book of Proverbs makes clear is that, is that wisdom, the kind of wisdom that it presents to us, it's not primarily or even first about what you know. Right? It's not about knowing what is right and true and good. You, you have to know what's right and true and good to have wisdom, but that's not what wisdom is. You see, instead, wisdom is actually about doing what is right and true and good. In other words, wisdom isn't shown in what you know. It's shown by how you apply what you know to your life. It's shown by what you do. In fact, in Hebrew, the, the word for wisdom that's used, uh, it refers to doing something with skill. Right, skillfully doing something. And so when Proverbs uses the word wisdom, it's talking about skill in the, in the art of godly living. 
a skillfully godly lived life. The same word gets used in places like Psalm 107 in reference to kind of how sailors use the winds and tides to make their ways to different destination. And it's used as well in Jeremiah chapter 10 when it's talking about the expertise of goldsmiths who are called men who work with or who, who the work of wise or skilled men. And so just like sailing and just like goldsmithing, right? Godly living, wisdom, it's this acquired skill. What I want to show you this morning as we take a look at just a a glimpse in in the book of Proverbs is that acquiring that skill, becoming wise, it begins with a choice. It begins with a choice. You see, wisdom is not something you accidentally walk into. It's not something you just automatically get by virtue of living life. Wisdom is something you must choose to pursue And so throughout Proverbs, the choice to pursue wisdom and godliness is repeatedly, constantly being contrasted, right, with the choice to pursue sin and folly. And so what Proverbs makes clear is that there's only two paths you can walk down. You can walk the path of wisdom, or you can walk the path of sin and folly. You can choose wisdom and righteousness, or you can choose folly and sin. There is no third way. And so to walk in wisdom, to to gain wisdom... It always begins with a choice. So I want to show you that this morning. And what we're going to see is that nowhere is the significance and the, 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 the clarity about that choice made more clear in the book of Proverbs than in Proverbs chapter 9. And so with that in mind, uh, let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll dive in together. So, Lord Jesus, thanks so much for you. Thanks that uh, the whole Bible is about you. And as we come this morning to take a look at the book of Proverbs, we ask humbly, God, might, might you help us to see your son Jesus in the words of Proverbs this morning. Help us to see him. And so give us wisdom, make us wise, and help us indeed, as we'll see this morning, to choose to walk the path of wisdom with you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Proverbs 9 begins this way. And what's happening, again, that we have to, make, have to understand about Proverbs, right, is that there's lots of illustrations that are going on. And so the writer of Proverbs here, he's using, uh, he's using an illustration, and we'll talk about this more, but he's using this illustration of these two women who are throwing these two parties. And he's, he's giving these illustrations to his sons in order that they might choose wisdom. And so let's read. It begins this way. Chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She set up its seven pillars, and she's prepared her meat and mixed wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come and eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. And so folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. 
Well, like I said this morning, the, the writer of Proverbs is using this illustration, and at the heart of the illustration is these two women who are throwing two parties, and I don't know about you if you've ever been invited to two parties at the same time, right? They're both happening at the exact same time, and you, you, have, to, you have to make a choice, right? You can't, you can't do both. This is not the high school graduation circuit where you show up and make like a five-minute appearance at each of them. Like, you got to pick one, Right? And they're parties you want to go to, right? So the question is, how do you decide, right? Is it, maybe it has to do with who's going to be at those parties, right? Who, who you like more, who you want to impress, or who you want to avoid uh, frustrating, or you want to avoid upsetting. Maybe it just comes down to which party you think is going to have better food, right? Like sometimes that's, that's how you choose, right? Or maybe it's which one's going to cost you more. One party you can get away with bringing some Doritos, the other you're going to have to pony up. You have to bring something good, Right? Whatever the case is, it can be hard to decide. And again, in our passage this morning, Proverbs presenting this, this choice that's in front of all of us to pursue wisdom or folly, it's presenting it like this choice between two parties that we're invited to. One, one that's thrown by Lady Wisdom and the other by Lady Folly. And in order to guide us in our decision as we figure out which party we're going to go to, what happens is the, the passage in Proverbs 9, it compares and contrasts these parties. And what I want to show you is that I want to just walk through three ways that the, the author compares and contrasts these parties. We're going to see which, what each of the parties offers. We're going to see what it costs to attend. And lastly, we're going to see where each party leaves you at the end of the night. So let's, let's take a look here. First part is this, what, what, what each party offers. You'll, you'll notice that the passage is broken up into three sections. Verses 1 through 6, they describe Lady Wisdom's party. Verses 13 through 18, at the very end, are about Lady Folly's party. And then there's this kind of weird section in the mi middle about like the righteous and mockers. And you're like, what is going on with that? It like, seems like it doesn't match the whole rest of it. But really what's going on there is that the writer's talking about who chooses, which to, uh, who chooses to go to which party, what characterizes kind of the heart attitudes of them. And what you see as you look at those two parties is that they look pretty similar. In verses 4 and 16, we see that Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are both extending an invitation to the exact same people, right? They, they both say, let all who are simple come to my house, right? The parties they're throwing, they're not pretentious. They are not exclusive. They, they're open to everyone, right? But the ones who, who have yet to decide which party they're going to are those that Proverbs refers to as the simple. In Proverbs, the, the simple or the young refer to those who lack wisdom, and, and some of that lack is just because they need training or instruction, but another one of the reasons that Proverbs outlines throughout the book as to why the simple are that way, why they lack wisdom, is because they refuse to commit to anything. One commentator puts it this way, the simple love being open to any opinion and yet committed to none. They love being uncommitted, and because of that they are gullible and easily misled. And so Proverbs at the heart of the beginning of these invitations is saying, you must make a choice. You have to make a choice. You can't put it off any longer. You have to decide. And as you look at verses 3 and 14, you notice that both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, they're not just calling out to the same people. They're calling out from the same place. It says from the highest place in the city, they are inviting everyone to come to their party. The highest place in the city is a term for a place of honor and dignity and prominence and legitimacy, right? And so they're, they're both actively inviting people. And, and the, the feast, that, what they're communicating is that the feast that they're inviting to, they both look good. They look appealing. One commentator sums it up this way. The point is that folly and sin call out in similar ways to wisdom, precisely because they aim to deceive. 
careful attention and discernment is required if the two calls are going to be distinguished. See, what you look, what you have to see as you keep studying the passages is that while their invitations might be similar, when you dig in, when you look a little closer, you see that each of the parties that offers, what the hosts are offering is altogether different. They're altogether different. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that Lady Wisdom has built a spacious house for her guests to enjoy. She has actively prepared a, prepared a feast for them to enjoy. Says she's done that at her own expense. She has prepared her meat, mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has done all the work. The party is ready. And so all that's left is for, us to, for, the, for those who are invited to come and enjoy the feast that's been prepared. In contrast, what we see at the end of the passage is that Lady Folly, she sits at the door of her house. And verse, tells, verse 17 tells us that the, the food and the drink that she offers is, is really just bread and, and water. It's totally inferior to the meat and the wine that Lady Wisdom has, has prepared. And what's more, we find out that it's not even hers. It's stolen, right? She just like yanked it off of somebody on a cart down the street, right? And brought it home. Right? In college, I remember I was on a road trip with, uh, with friends and we were driving along, we were coming back, I think, from somewhere, maybe Louisiana we were coming back from, and somewhere in Kentucky there was this giant sign on the, on the end of the road uh, for this place called Boomtown. And when you're a college kid and you're on a road trip with some brothers, like, you stop at Boomtown, because that sounds amazing, right? Uh, the problem is, is that Boomtown was like wildly underwhelming. It was more like Pew Pew Isle. Like it was just like, apparently we had missed the season or something like that. There was like literally like nine highway billboards and then like one aisle with a few lame fireworks in it. And you see, that's, that's how sin and folly work. Sin offers you something that it can't provide. It offers you, you something that it cannot give you. Sin offers life and satisfaction and pleasure, but it just gives you this kind of cheap knockoff. And when you get it, you're just like, that was real underwhelming. See, Ladies Folly's party, what Proverbs was trying to say, it's like it's a lot like Boomtown. There's a whole lot of signs. It looks real good, but it's wildly underwhelming. The stolen water is sweet, secret bread is pleasant, but it quickly leaves you longing for something better. You see, when you look at the two parties, what you see is that what they offer is very different. In fact, they don't really compare. One's the real thing, and the other's a cheap counterfeit. See, but what the parties offer isn't the only difference between them. See, the second thing I want to show you is that the, the passage helps us to see what it costs to attend each party. Lady Wisdom calls out to the simple in verse 4 through 6. She says it this way, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the ways of insight. See, the invitation Lady Wisdom is offering invites, uh, she invites all to come as they are, but not to stay as they are. She says in verse 6, to leave your simple ways. See, if you want to go to the party that Lady Wisdom is hosting, you've got to acknowledge your simpleness. You've got to acknowledge the fact that you are not yet wise and that you need something that she has. 
We've got to be like the people in verses 8 and 9 who are willing to receive correction, who are willing to receive the, to rebuke. Those are the kinds of people who go to the Lady Wisdom's party. Verse 8 says it this way, Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise, they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they'll add to their learning. That's contrasted with verse 7 and the first part of 8, right? When it talks about the fool and the mocker who when you challenge or instruct them, they just respond with insults and abuse and hatred. One pastor I listened to, he said it this way, the simpleton seeks companions who agree with them, but the wise person will seek companions who agree with Christ and will lovingly challenge them. I just want to encourage you this morning to ask the question, are you cultivating relationships with wise people or people who just tell you the stuff you already want to hear? Do your friends ever challenge you to grow in godliness or do they just affirm everything you're doing? If that's the case, you either need to get some new friends or, and this might be equally the case, you might need to let your friends know you'll listen to the advice they have to give you. See, sometimes what happens is that we, we hang around with the right people but our opinions and our confidence is so strong that somebody who's wise is not going to waste their breath trying to give advice to somebody who is clearly not going to take it. Maybe you give off the impression that you don't want to hear what your wise friends have to say, and they're not dumb because they're wise, right? So they're not going to waste their breath on that stuff. Remember, part of that is just like inviting people to, give, to speak into your life. Inviting wise people Right, whose lives demonstrate wisdom to speak into your life. I remember in college, Hannah and I had just started dating. And I remember um, the, two of the roommates that I lived with at the time, I, uh, when we had started dating, I encouraged them. I said, hey, you know, Hannah and I just started dating. There's, like, here's some boundaries that we've set up in our relationship because we want to honor the Lord with that. But if you see something in our lives or in our relationship that, like, that causes you, you know, like, gives you doubt or you want to ask a question about, I want you to talk to me about that. And there's numerous times over our time dating where my friends would come to me and they say like, hey, listen, there's this like habit that we've been seeing or here's this thing that's been going on. And God used those friends graciously over years to just like speak wisdom into my own heart and life and help me to walk wisely with the Lord. But part of the way that happens is because I asked them to. I invited them to speak into my life. Are there people who are wise that you've invited to speak into yours? See, See, to seek wisdom and to seek wise friends and to seek correction so you can grow is incredibly important. But it also requires something that we see in the passage. It requires a humility. It requires a kind of humility that the passage tells us comes from one place. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is, of, is understanding. We tend to, we have trouble understanding that phrase, the fear of the Lord, because there's not really, honestly, there's not a very good, accurate English translation for the, for the word for fear in Hebrew and English. But we tend to think about being afraid of something. But in Hebrew, the, the word has overtones of awe and reverence and, and humble submission. And so when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about being afraid of God. It's talking about caring more about what he thinks and, how, and his ways than you care about anything else. 
It's about having him be the one that sits in the place of highest authority. His opinion is the one that matters the most. His priorities are your priorities. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Right? And that begins, the only way that you get the kind of humility where you invite the wisdom of others to speak into your life is if you first recognize that you are not the wise one. And that you need to submit to the one who is truly wise. See, wisdom begins with God. He's the author and the source of it. The world works the way it does. Life works best the way it does because God designed it that way. And so to choose to pursue wisdom must always begin with the humble acknowledgement that you and I are not God and that we need someone who is wiser than us to give us wisdom, that we must submit to the only one who is truly wise. See, Lady Wisdom's party, it doesn't just require humility. See, Lady Wisdom's party, it costs you your pride. To become wise, you've got to admit that you are yet a simpleton, a fool who needs wisdom. And sadly for many, that's what keeps us from wisdom. It's not that we don't know where to find it. It's that we are unwilling to humble ourselves and to admit that we don't have all the wisdom we need. We either think we know better or we doubt God's ways will really bring life. See, and that's the very definition of what Proverb calls the fool. See, while being simple is characterized by being ignorant and uncommitted, the fool in Proverbs is characterized as someone who thinks that they are already wise. Proverbs 18.2 says it this way, Fools, they find no pleasure in understanding. They delight in airing their own opinions. Chapter 12, verse 15 says it this way, The way of a fool seems right to them, and yet the wise listen to advice. See, the fool in Proverbs is one who thinks they're already wise. They are confident in their opinions. They think they already have everything figured out. Things are, seem to be going quite smoothly for them. They think that they've got it all figured out and, yet they, and that they don't need to learn anymore. And so the cost of Lady Wisdom's party is too high. It's too high for the fool and the mocker who already thinks that they are wise. But what verse 18 shows us is that what they don't realize is that while Lady Wisdom's party will cost you your pride... Lady Folly's party is going to cost you your very life. Verse 18 says it this way, but little do they know the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. See, and that brings us to the, the last thing that Proverbs 9 shows us about the, the difference between these two parties that we're invited to. See, at the end of the night, one of the parties leads to life and blessing, and the other one just leads to death. Lady Wisdom's guests are rewarded with choice wine and meat, with, with life and with blessing. Verse 11 and 12, for through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, then your wisdom will reward you. In contrast, what we see is that Lady Folly's guests, they suffer the consequences of their poor choice and they get this rude awakening when they find not only that the party was a lie, but that they are deep in the realm of the dead. You see, throughout Proverbs, Solomon and the other writers, they, they have a sense of a tone of urgency. It's not this like, hey, when you get around to it, like, it's like this, here's this thing, one day you'll have to make a choice about. No, the writer of Proverbs urgently keeps putting this before us. It says, there is this urgent choice. It is one of critical importance. And they're pleading with the listener to choose wisdom because what the writer of Proverbs understands is that the, the consequences of the choice are not just a bad night. 
It's not just a bad party that's at stake. It's our very lives. See, Proverbs reminds us that sin and folly, they seem good and appealing, and they're lies. They're lies that lead to death, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal death. On the other hand, there's wisdom, which leads to life, abundant life, both now and forever. You see, the stakes are incredibly high. The simple go through life not knowing what's at stake. And so God graciously gives us the book of Proverbs to show us the choice that is in front of us and to show us what is at stake. See, but God gives us more than the book of Proverbs. He doesn't just give us some some wisdom literature. See, the Bible is clear that God gives us his very self. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll notice how the the concept of wisdom, like we see happening in our passage this morning, it's constantly being personified. It's being presented, right? Not just as an idea, but as this embodied kind of thing, right? And that's not just because the author's just using some uh, rhetorical technique that helps somebody get an idea, right? It's because wisdom is not merely an idea. What the Bible helps us to see is that wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus in the New Testament we see is it's the ultimate personification of wisdom. In Luke chapter four, 2, verse 40 and 52 tells us that as a child that Jesus was filled with wisdom. In Matthew 13, it says that the crowds marvel at his wisdom. Solomon himself was the Israel's wisest king, the wisest human ever. And yet in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus claims of himself, one greater than Solomon is here. The Apostle Paul echoes all of this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24 and 30, when he says that Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. And in Colossians chapter 2, that in Christ, all wisdom is hidden. And so what you have to see is that it's not just this esoteric picture of a personified idea that's calling us to dine. It's Jesus himself who stands before us and who invites us that we might come and choose to eat with him and to be wise, not by learning wise things, but by coming to the wise one. See, Jesus is wisdom incarnate, and at the heart of the gospel, what you see at the cross of Christ, what you see is that the very wisdom of God You see him suffering and dying for simpletons and fools and for mockers like me and like you. So that you and I might be made wise for salvation, so that his wisdom, so that his skillfully lived life of godliness might be credited to us. See, the passage teaches us that Lady Wisdom, at her own expense, offered this abundant feast for the simple so that they might become wise. And on the cross, what we see is that God himself, at his own expense, prepares the ultimate feast for us so that you and I might become wise. See, the message of Proverbs is not just get some more good information. Learn some ticks and trips, t- learn some tips and tricks for living a good life. At the heart of the book of Proverbs is that we might submit to the wise one to Jesus himself, the very wisdom of God, who has not just prepared a banquet for us, but who has done it at his own expense so that you and I might become wise. 
One commentator sums it up this way. The Proverbs, they find their fullest explanation in Jesus, who shows us what it means to live as God intended and whose wisdom is credited to us before the Father. He gives us his spirit to guide us into a life of imitating him, not to earn credit with God, but to experience the fulfillment in life that comes from living as God intended. See, Jesus is the wisdom of God who comes, who has come to make us wise. And it's the the sacrifice of the wise one, of Jesus himself. That's what we remember and celebrate every week when we take communion. Reminding ourselves that in our need and in our inadequacy in the midst of all our pride that Jesus, the, the word of God, the wisdom of God, that he comes to make us wise, to make us wise for salvation. And so the bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us as he in wisdom skillfully lived the life that we didn't. And the drink reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for us as, as it looked like foolishness as he died on the cross, but his blood pours out for those who are like you and me who need it. And so as we take communion, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves about the gospel and reminding ourselves about Jesus, the very wisdom of God who has given himself to make us wise. And so communion, it doesn't make you right with God and it doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus is the one thing that does. And so if you're here this morning, and you've trusted Jesus to be the wisdom of God, and you've submitted to him as king, then during our time of worship, go back and take communion. Let it be a reminder to you of all that he has done for you, of Jesus, God's very wisdom, on the cross for fools and simpletons and mockers like you and me. Let it fill you with life and hope and joy that comes from him. But if you're here this morning and you haven't yet figured out uh, where you're at with the Lord, you're still figuring out what it means to follow him and and if surrendering to him is is even a good idea, I just want you to know you are welcome here. But I encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God is not after religious rituals and he's not after going through the motions. He's after a heart that says, Jesus, you are the very wisdom of God. You have all the truth. And the truth is found in you, in trusting in you, in hoping in you, in surrendering to you. And so communion might not be right for you this morning, but Jesus says, might you come and get wisdom that comes from him. And so wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you, talk with God. As we take communion, as we sing, talk with God. For some of you, you, you've never chosen to humbly submit yourself to God and his wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is this invitation from God himself that you might not keep putting that choice off forever, but that you might press into it. And God never calls us to just make just like an off-the-cuff kind of decisions. He calls us to carefully consider and to count the costs. But do it. Don't just endlessly put off investigating faith in Jesus. Press into that. But for many of us, we have made the choice to acknowledge our foolishness and come to Jesus, the wise one for salvation. And, and what the invitation is that we might remind, be reminded of this morning is that throughout Proverbs, that wisdom is described not primarily as a point, but as a path. And it begins with surrendering to Jesus, the wise one, the wisdom of God. But it, it continues on every day as we keep choosing to walk the path of wisdom and humility. And so every day you wake up with a choice, which path will you walk on?
Will you walk the path of wisdom and surrender and humility to Jesus? Or will you walk the path of folly and pride? And so every day we choose wisdom and we do it with repentance and faith. And so we repent of our sin and we ask God for his strength to live wisely and we continually come to him acknowledging our sin and our folly and we're able to do that and we're able to be honest with God and we're able to keep admitting our lack of wisdom to him because we know that Jesus, that because we know that our, our status and our standing before him does not, is not hinge on the amount of wisdom you have doesn't hinge on the strength of your wisdom. It hinges on the object of the one you've trusted to be wise for you. See, the essence of wisdom is not that you never act foolishly, but rather that we increasingly understand the depth of our sin and folly and our need for a Savior. What you see in the Apostle Paul in the writings of the New Testament, that characterizes his life. When you read the books that he's written chronologically, what you find is that increasingly, increasingly, he thinks less and less of himself and more and more highly of Jesus. See, if we're going to choose wisdom every day, we've got to keep seeing our lack of wisdom and our need for more. But more than that, we've got to see through the seductive lies of Lady Folly. See, rejecting sin and folly won't be enough. We have to see the surpassing beauty of Lady Wisdom. See, what Proverbs, the picture Proverbs paints for us is that she is beautiful. That her ways give life and blessing. You see, when we see the, the life of godly wisdom that Christ offers us, it's only when we see his beauty that we'll be willing to pay the cost to lay down our pride and to walk in wisdom each and every day. The degree, let me just leave you with this. The degree to which you see Jesus as the wisdom of God and yourself as the fool that he died for will be the degree to which you are empowered and motivated to choose wisdom from him every day. The degree to which you see him as the wisdom of God and yourself as the fool he died for. That's going to be the degree you'll be empowered to live for him and to walk in wisdom. And so let the gospel be good news. Let your lack of wisdom not hinder you from coming to the wise one. He already knows you're a fool. Agree with him and let him make you wise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. And we are so grateful that you don't just offer us tips and tricks for living a good life, but you offer us yourself. And God, you, you come not just to show us what it means to be wise, but God, you come to make us wise. And you did that by offering a, a feast for us at your own expense. And you did it by inviting us at your expense to become wise. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you might help us to see uh, the offer that you are extending to us of life. Help us to look past and see through the lives of Lady Folly. And to see in you, Jesus, the life that Lady Wisdom offers us. A life of blessing and of fullness not one that's full of not one that's void of difficulty but one where there's life in the midst of it that can only come from you Jesus and we ask might you help us to choose you in it amen